morning, everyone. So our reading is from Hebrews chapter 12, starting at verse 18 to 29. And that can be found on page 1211 in the Red Church Bible. So starting at verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service today. This morning, I want to speak about belonging to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Belonging to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, belonging is very important. That's why you're here this morning. You feel you belong here. You identify with us. We belong together. I'm sure you don't remember, but when you were born, the midwife attached a little identity bracelet to your wrist. Immediately, you had identity. You belonged. You had a name, a place of birth, a date of birth, a nationality, and so on. But who are you today? How do you identify yourself today? Do you say, I'm a nurse, I'm a musician, I'm a carpenter, I'm a teacher, I'm a mother? What gives you your true identity? 
What is your most important belonging? What is your most important identity? I hope your reply would be, I'm a Christian. I find my identity in Christ. Regardless of what else I may be, first and foremost, I'm a Christian. Identity was a serious problem for the Hebrew Christians. The book of Hebrews was written about 30 years after Jesus ascended to heaven. It was written to the Jewish believers. Many of them were having second thoughts about following Jesus. They were experiencing persecution, especially from their own people. And it was costly to be a Christian. And Jesus had gone. He was back in heaven. And so these Hebrew Christians were looking back at what they'd left behind. The Jewish faith was impressive with its history, its temple, its sacrifices, its priesthood, and its great annual festivals. And so these new believers in Jesus were tempted to look back on all this and to give up their faith in Jesus and return to what they knew and loved. They were asking themselves, do I belong to Moses or do I belong to Jesus? And in these verses, which Beatrice read for us a few moments ago, especially in the verses 18 to 24 of Hebrews chapter 12, the writer presents a great contrast between what the Jewish believers were leaving behind and what they were now embracing by believing in Jesus. And the writer presents this contrast by talking about two mountains. You might have found that strange. In fact, this whole passage is, is quite strange in many ways. He talks about two very different mountains. At Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law, and then also Mount Zion, which he uses as a picture of the heavenly Jerusalem where Jesus has ascended. And in these two paragraphs here, 18 to 21 and 22 to 24, the writer compares belonging to the old Jewish way with belonging to the new Christian way. He shows the fear that was associated with belonging at Sinai compared to the joy of belonging to the heavenly Mount Zion. It's a very striking contrast that he makes here. And maybe you experienced a similar contrast when you became a Christian. Perhaps you too left behind a rigid system of fear and dread, and you, believing in Jesus, embraced a new joy and peace through your faith in him. So I want you to keep your Bibles open as we move through this passage. I want to read again verses 18 to 21. And I want you to notice the words that are used to describe 
the scene at Mount Sinai. Verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire and darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. The writer uses seven words, seven words here to describe the scene at Mount Sinai. And they're all very negative words. Fire, darkness, gloom, storm, trumpet, death, and fear. It's certainly a negative, forbidding scene. It's as if Mount Sinai is saying to the sinner, stop. Stay at a distance. You're a sinner. God is holy. You have broken his law. You cannot meet his demands. And so the scene at Mount Sinai is associated with fear and the threat of punishment. But now, for the new believers, now since the death and resurrection of Jesus, these Jewish believers have been released from that fear. Their sins have been forgiven. They have a new identity. They belong to a different mountain, a different kingdom. They belong to Jesus because the veil of the temple has been torn in two from the top to the bottom. A new kingdom has come in. A new order has been established. They have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, in Bible times, Mount Zion was right at the center of the city of Jerusalem. It was where God was present, where God met with his people in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. But that's not what the writer is talking about here. Things have moved on. The temple is gone. But there is a new Mount Zion, which is in heaven, a new Jerusalem, which is above, before the throne of God. And it's to this heavenly Jerusalem that the writer now draws our attention. So what does it mean, belonging to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem? Well, let's read verses 22 to 24 and see what it means to belong to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Remember, this is not just the heritage of the Hebrew Christians. This is our heritage as well. And the writer is speaking to us as well. You've left the old 
the life of fear and guilt and judgment, and you've come to the new. This is where you belong. And here in this paragraph, we have a list, a list of some of the privileges and blessings we enjoy because we belong to Jesus, because we have come into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. First of all, we see in verse 22, the writer uses three names to describe the place where we belong. He calls it Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, we have noticed, it's not the earthly Jerusalem that is in view, but it is the Jerusalem which is above. Our belonging is now centered in heaven, not in this changing world where nothing is permanent. We belong to a city, and a city is a community. A city is where we belong. We say we belong to Dublin. A city is a community, and this is the community of the living God. This is not the changing world we live in. This is the city of which we are citizens. That's where our passports have come from, from heaven above. Our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Do we really see ourselves as belonging here? To the entire church, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And we need to remember when we wake up on Sunday morning and when we come along here, that we are coming not just to Grosvenor, but we are coming to a community that embraces all God's people in all ages and even embraces the angels as well. And together we are worshiping before the throne of God. Next we see in verse 22 that we belong to a joyful assembly. Every time we worship here, we are joining not with God's people only, but we are joining with thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And notice the note that is present in worship here. It is the note of joy. There was no joy at Mount Sinai, only fear and dread. But at Mount Zion, at the heavenly Jerusalem, there is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Jesus makes the difference. Yes, we have troubles, we have sorrows, but every time we stand in this house, our hearts must be filled with joy. Our hearts must be full of thanksgiving and praise and gladness to God, the great God who has rescued us from our sins and brought us into this kingdom which cannot be shaken. Next, in verse 23, we see that we belong to the church of the firstborn. Now, Jesus is called the firstborn. And because we are joined to him through faith in Jesus and by the Holy Spirit, we too are firstborn. We are the ones who inherit because of Jesus. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 25 to the people on his right hand on the day of judgment, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. 
we inherit because we are firstborn, because we belong to Jesus. We are the church of the firstborn. And we inherit glory, and we inherit so much from Jesus and through him. Our names are written down in heaven. At Mount Sinai, Moses recorded the names of the people of Israel. He wrote them down on a scroll. And throughout the Old Testament, you are constantly coming across these long lists of names. Why? Because it was important to have your name written down. Without that, you didn't exist, so to speak. Your name must be written down. And so our names have been written down, not on a parchment scroll and put into an ark, but our names have been written down in glory when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we belong to that company who are enrolled in heaven if we are believers in the Lord Jesus. Next, in verse 23, we see that we belong to God. We belong to God. He says, you have come to God, the judge of all men. We have come to him. We are reconciled to him. We belong to him. He is our father. And we rejoice that he is the judge of all men. Because as we Christians look out on this evil and corrupt world, we see so much that needs to be put right. We see so many wrongs that need to be corrected. We see so many crimes that go unpunished. So much unfairness, so much injustice. But our God, the God in whom we believe, is the judge of all the earth. And he will right the wrongs in this evil world. And we have confidence in him. And he is the judge of all the earth. And he's not just the judge of the Jewish people. No, he's the judge of all. And he will judge in every nation the wrongs of every nation. Next in verse 23, we see that we belong with the saints in glory. To me, this is one of the most wonderful and thrilling statements in this long list. We belong with the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This morning, we're worshiping with our loved ones who are not here. We are worshiping with our loved ones who are with Christ and who are already in glory. The spirits of the righteous made perfect. And you know, this little statement is a tremendous proof in the scriptures that believers who have died are already with God in heaven. They're not nowhere. They're with God. They have been made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heaven. And they worship before God, even as we worship before God this morning. We join with them. And we feel that they are there before the throne of God. We know from the word of God. And so we are part of this vast throng, people of God in all ages. But then in verse 24, the writer comes to the climax of this list. He said, 
We have come to Jesus. We belong to Jesus, the mediator, <coughs> the mediator of the new covenant. But as you look at this verse, what is it about Jesus that is the focus? It's not his life, it's not his example, it's not his gentleness. No, it is the blood of Jesus that is the focus. We come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood. Now, every Jew knew the meaning of the sprinkled blood because it immediately cast his mind back to Egypt and to the Passover and to the escape from Egypt when every house had the blood of the lamb sprinkled over the doorposts. And that blood protected the Jews inside. It protected the people inside from the destroying angel and the wrath of God. And so the writer says, you have come to Jesus and to his sprinkled blood. And it's his blood that stands between us and the wrath of God even today the blood of Jesus, so precious. And here, the writer compares the blood of Jesus with the blood of Abel. And he says, it speaks a better word, as we were singing. It speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, if you cast your mind back to Genesis chapter 4, you remember how Cain rose up against Abel and killed him because of jealousy. And God said to Cain, the blood of your brother is crying out to me from the ground. It's crying out for vengeance. But Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Jesus' blood does not speak for vengeance. Jesus' blood cries out, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive the murderer. Forgive the pervert. Forgive the criminal. Forgive them. Because I died. I took their place. So the blood of Jesus speaks that better word. Forgiveness. Joy. Reconciliation. Peace. Have you experienced that in your life? Is this where you belong with Jesus? Is this what's in your mind when you think about your identity and all that this that all this belongs to you and that you belong to all this? Isn't it amazing? What a glorious identity we have. And what amazing contrast there is between these two mountains. At Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, there is joy and celebration. There is love and mercy and reconciliation, amazing grace. And here there is a welcome for sinners, a welcome through the blood of Jesus. This is the kingdom which cannot be shaken. This is reality. This is permanence. Here in this life, we only have illusion. The kingdom which cannot be shaken is the place of permanence and of all that abides forever. Moving on to verse 25, the writer issues a solemn warning to us here. 
And there are a number of warnings like this in the book of Hebrews. He reminds the people that at Sinai, they heard the voice of God. And if they rebelled, they did not escape. And he tells us that we today are hearing the voice of God. As God's word is preached to us week by week, we are hearing the voice of God from heaven through the word, by the Spirit of God. And if they did not escape when they heard the voice at Sinai, how can we escape today if we do not listen to the voice of God through Jesus our Savior? We come now to, in the third place, to the kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom that cannot be shaken. In verse 26, we read, these words. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now once more he has promised, I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. In verse 26, he talks about a great shaking and the emergence of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And with the coming of Christ, God was shaking the established order of things and bringing in the kingdom which was eternal and permanent. I don't know if you've ever been to Los Angeles. I've certainly never been there. But I'm told that if you stay in a hotel in that city, you're likely to find a little, polite little card on your bedside locker with the title, What to Do in Case of an Earthquake. And you are told to move away from the windows. You are told that the table is the best place to be under, bearing in mind that you're on the 23rd floor. Los Angeles doesn't have firm foundations. And so, if you're there, and I'm not planning to go, there could be a great shaking. There could be a great shaking in that city. But you know, the, wor the worrying thing in the present passage here is that God will shake not just the earth, but also the heavens. Because God has a plan to shake and change the entire universe and to create new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We find that set out for us in Revelation 21. I'm sure you agree with me that we live in momentous times. Things that seemed unshakable in the past are shaking today. We have the pandemic. We have global warming. We have an ominous and great war in Europe. There is a great shaking going on in the world. And God is already shaking all things to remind the unbelieving world that he is still on the throne and that he is the judge of all. 
And also he is shaking all things to remind his people that they belong to a kingdom which cannot be shaken, to a kingdom that is permanent and real, the only safe place in the whole universe. So what are we to say to all this? In the last two verses of the chapter, the writer applies these great truths to us. And he tells us that our response, our response should be twofold. Our response should, first of all, be thankfulness. Thankfulness for all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Thankfulness for every blessing that comes our way every minute of every day. Thankfulness from a sincere heart. There is a lot of ingratitude around. There is a lot of grumbling around. There's a lot of doom and gloom in the world today. But it should not be so with us as believers in Jesus because of these amazing privileges which we have. There should be thankfulness in our hearts. The second response that should be ours is the response of reverent worship. We come here this morning to worship and we sing, I hope we sing our hearts out because there is so much to sing about. But I hope we do it reverently too. And you know, this chapter ends with a scary verse. Our God is a consuming fire. Why does it end like that? Surely that belongs back in Sinai. Why does the writer end with that? Well, you see, the writer wants us to remember that God has not changed. God is not a different kind of God now than he was at Sinai. Not at all. He hasn't gone soft on sin. The only thing that stands between us and the anger of God is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that speaks that better word, forgiveness, peace, forgiveness through Jesus. And so, because it's only the blood of Jesus that stands between us and an angry God, we must worship God with reverence as well as with joy and thanksgiving. And anyone who rejects God's saving plan still has to face that angry God. And so our God, our gracious and loving and kind and merciful God, must always be treated with reverence and respect. He must be worshipped with sincere thankfulness and joy because he has brought us to belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and eternal God, you before whom the angels feel their faces, you who are a consuming fire, we thank you for these amazing privileges that you have given us in the kingdom which cannot be shaken. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that washes away our sin. We thank you that because we believe in him and not in ourselves, 
because we rest on his blood and righteousness, we have peace with God. We thank you for these privileges. Help us to grasp how much you have done for us. Help us to have thankful hearts and help us day by day and hour by hour to have worship in our hearts to our great and wonderful God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our final song, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness. <laughs>